What's up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. My podcast this week is actually from a nutrition clinic that I did at Run On in Richardson, Texas. Um, Let's see, that was a week ago this past Monday. So um, I got to talk a little bit about um, my books, specifically The Self-Reliant Diet, and then had a ton of really, really good questions um, that... uh, people on the Run on Richardson's Instagram live were able to send in. So had a really, really awesome event there. Um, I go out there as often as I can on Wednesdays for their social run. Um, so they, they go from the store at about 6 PM, uh, every Wednesday and we have a blast, really good group of people show up and, um, it's pretty nice to be able to get a nice run in. And then afterwards we, uh, spread out in the parking lot and still get to hang out and chit chat and catch up and, um, be social because humans are social creatures. So, um, without further ado, here is the entirety of that nutrition clinic and the Q and a. So go follow run on Richardson. And, uh, if you guys ever need a new pair of running shoes or any running apparel, I highly recommend it. Um, Every everybody who works there that I've met has been really cool. They're really awesome, really knowledgeable, and um, they're going to take care of you. So here we go. All right, everybody, welcome to tonight's live stream. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We got one brave member in the audience. Um, tonight we have Kevin Kuhn here today. He's a very well qualified. Um, I guess you're a nutrition coach. And uh, going to be talking about optimizing the athlete's diet. So first off, if anybody, if you can't hear us, just type in the chat. Let us know. We can talk louder or get the camera closer. Um, but yeah, Kevin, go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us about yourself, sure. what uh, your credentials are, and uh, also about the books you've written. Awesome. Um, well, thank you guys so much for having me here. I'm really excited. Um, Talking nutrition and specifically uh, nutrition for athletes is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I'm originally from Ohio. I grew up there, ran cross country and track in high school and college. Uh, came down here to Texas for grad school at Baylor. Got to work with uh, their basketball team a little bit and uh, got to shadow with their track team, which is really what I wanted to come down here for. So. Um, after finishing up grad school, I moved to Indianapolis to work with a professional running club there called the Indiana Invaders, and I got to work as their uh, strength coach and nutrition coach. So I am a uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist. I'm also a master fitness specialist from the uh, Cooper Aerobic Center, the Cooper Institute. So um, yeah, in addition to that, I am a nutrition coach. I've written two books on nutrition. Uh, One I did right after grad school. It's called Hormonal Nutrition. And it's really about if you don't want to track your calories, if you don't want to look into the math side of the equation, if you will, then that's kind of the book for you. My latest book, The Self-Reliant Diet, is about how, uh, really it's the concepts that we're going to be talking about tonight, but it's really about how do you know how many calories you need, and then how do you uh, set up your diet so that it doesn't matter what's trending right now, whether it's 
keto or the next one's going to be carnivore you know we've seen paleo we've seen low fat we've seen you know anything and everything in between those all work as long as you're following the concepts of hitting your calorie goal hitting your protein goal hitting your fat goal hitting your carb goal no diet is special they all have to follow those tenets so that's what the self-reliant diet's about um Right now I have an office here in Richardson. Um, my business is called Athlete Factors and I work primarily with endurance athletes. Um, fixing them, getting them, you know, mostly better, it's mostly endurance athletes, so triathletes and runners, getting them better at the sport, yeah, keeping them injury free, helping them with their diet. And uh, that's, that's basically what I do. Fantastic, well we're glad to have you here tonight. Um, so Kevin is gonna give us a little presentation on optimizing an athlete's diet. Um, if you have any questions, nutrition related, uh, save them for about 15 minutes or so and then put them in the chat. Uh, also our live audience hopefully will have a few questions for us. Yeah. And uh, we'll, so we'll get to those, we'll get to as many as, you, as we can. As long as you guys are still asking questions, we'll keep going. Um, so without further ado, why don't you uh, lead us in your presentation. Sweet. So. Um, do you have a rough idea of your budget for the store? Just like, uh, as far as your expenses um, and things like that. Like rent and then inventory and all that stuff. You got a, a rough idea. Rough yeah. idea. What about like for your personal expenses? Yeah. Yeah. So most athletes have absolutely no idea how many calories they need. I would fall into that category. <laughs> For sure. Like, it's, it's especially the case with endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. and endurance athletes are notoriously uh, underfueled when it comes to their, their caloric energy and their often protein on their energy. So their ability to recover is greatly diminished because training has a cost, has a caloric cost. And calories are just the body's currency, right? So if you understand how a budget works, then understanding how uh, calories, re uh, not react in the body, but work within the body. Uh, the two ideas are extremely similar. So that's, that's really what we're gonna cover today. So if you want to run faster, if you want to recover better, if you want to minimize injury risk, you have to have some idea of the cost of those things. Because when it comes to the body, there's necessities and there's commodities right so just like your budget right you have to pay your rent you have to pay your taxes you have to pay for food there's a lot of things that you have to pay for but then you might also want to save for a trip to disneyland or save up for a new garment or Who doesn't want to do that yeah and you got a budget for a new pair of running shoes because you know they don't last forever right nope. so there's, there's differences between necessities and commodities. Adaptations to training, like improving your aerobic fitness, improving your, or improving your uh, aerobic and anaerobic capacity, those aren't necessities. Those are commodities, right? So it's not enough to just eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and have no idea of, of how many calories you're ingesting if you want to then maximize the adapt those adaptations. So um, 
So can you cover the cost of training is really what we're going to talk about. So why is that important? Well, one of the reasons that's important is because hunger is not always a good measure of whether you're getting enough calories. So you can actually train your body to not feel as hungry. Um, and then there's specific foods you can eat that will actually reduce sensations of hunger and may affect uh, satiation. So you can eat specific things and do specific things and maybe you don't feel as hungry, but you're like coming way under on your, on your caloric need. So maybe it's enough to keep your immune system functioning because that's a necessity. Maybe it's enough to keep your heart pumping because that's a necessity. Maybe it's enough um, for all these other necessities, but it's not enough for you to stay injury free. Things like that. So um, the basic way that I help my athletes calculate their caloric need is uh, what's called the Harris-Benedict equation. And this is just, uh, it's an equation that was established by uh, Harris and Benedict, and um, what they were able to, to, to figure out using these calculations was uh, with very, very uh, high level of accuracy, someone's basal metabolic rate. So your basal metabolic rate is just the amount of calories that you need for the body to stay alive. It does not take into account your activity factor. So it's just based off your uh, your age, your height, your weight, and your gender. Can you repeat that? Sure. Um, the, the Harris-Benedict equation? Yes. So that is based off your age, your height, your weight, um, and your gender. And that is used to calculate your basal me metabolic rate, which is the amount of calories you need to uh, keep your cells alive. So from there, we take that and we multiply that by an activity factor. So let's say you're running twice a week, your activity factor is gonna be really low. Let's say you're running seven days a week, then your activity factor is gonna be really high. So but your basal metabolic rate is fairly, fairly um, set in stone based off those Variables. The only thing that grossly changes uh, your uh, your Harris-Benedict equation level of calories or your maintenance level of calories is your activity. So, um, I have like an example uh, for men and women. That's going to be kind of tough to talk through, but we can. We'll be putting a picture of this on our Instagram page so everybody can see what we're talking about a little more concretely. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then if there's um, I have a sheet so that people can, can calculate this stuff. If you guys uh, either send you guys a DM or send me a DM with your email address, I can forward that to you, and, or you can just contact me and say, hey, can you help me figure out my calories? Like That's, that's what I, I like doing. I love, love helping people figure that number out. Um, and then from figuring that number out, now you have your budget. Now you know how many calories you need to hit every day. So from there, uh, all you have to do is learn how to track that. So there's like a, a million apps out now, like MyFitnessPal, which is free, um, and it has a giant inventory of basically every food item known to man. Um, most of the stuff you can just literally scan with your phone. Like you could take this, find the barcode, scan it, and it will pull up all of this nutrition information, but it'll have it already in your phone and then you can say I had one serving or I had two servings and then it keeps a 
real-time audit of your calories and your macros, um, some vitamins and minerals and some of the micronutrients. So from there, if you, let's say your maintenance level of calories is 2,000 calories, let's just say, then you have your breakfast and then you type in like, I had two breakfast tacos from whatever, this restaurant over here, and you type that in and then boom, it says, all right, those are 200 calories each, and it's this much protein, this much fat, this much carbs, and then in real time, you know, I have this much left. So you know exactly how much you have to hit before the day's over, and then that's how you hit your budget. So that's how you're putting calories aside to cover the cost of training and adaptation. You're maximizing your ability to train every day because your fuel, you're always fueling, your gas tank's always full. Like the analogy that I like to use is um, you don't see a Formula One car or a NASCAR start with half a tank of gas, mm-hmm. right? Like they're gonna have to get yeah. early. Like they're gonna fill that gas tank as much as they can within reason so that they can go the distance. If you're showing up to your workout and you're underfueled and underhydrated, like you're not gonna have a very good workout. So if you're topping off the tank every single day, you're gonna go into every session as prepared as possible. And if you're able to train intensely, then you're laying the foundation for a potent long-term adaptation and stimulus. So six weeks down the road, you're gonna be way more fit. You're gonna be way, uh, way stronger, way faster than if you were showing up to the workouts and you know you were only eating a thousand calories that day when you needed two thousand. Mm. You know to hit your maintenance level. So that's the general, the general concept. Like it, it all comes back to the, to the budget analogy. That's the easiest way I know how to describe it to people, and for for most people, that's easy to understand. I've taught you know high school students how to yeah. do this, and they nail it. And I've taught you know seven year old triathletes how to do it, and they see huge improvements you know overnight, literally overnight. I've had clients who, after just a week of following uh, hitting the macros and calories that I that I calculated for them, like they sleep better. Yeah, like they're less stressed because now they have the calories. Their body's not fighting being in a catabolic breaking down uh, kind of state. Like their body's like, oh wow, I can I can cover all of these expenses. So that's that's basically it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Um, again, now's the time. If anybody has any questions, um, Polly will go ahead and read them out to us. So, got one ready? Yes. Day-to-day or is there a carryover during the night? Gotcha. So there's the nice thing is is there's a bunch of different ways you can set it up. So um, The way I typically set it up is to have it set so You're gonna have a, a specific number every day of the week whether you're training super intensely or whether you've got an off day or whether you've got an easy day um, I just wanted to average out over the course of seven days, but let's say Um, you go to a friend's birthday party and you want to have some cake and ice cream and all of a sudden you are way, way over on calories. Um, The next day, maybe you come in slightly under because you you wouldn't necessarily need to be way, way over and then 
be exactly on your calorie goal the next day. Or let's say you, excuse me, you come in way, way under. Let's just say you've had a bad day or you had to work through lunch and so you didn't get to eat your lunch and now you're coming in, you're trying to hit 2,500 calories for the day and you only hit, you know, 1,800. So you're 7, ca 700 calories under. Maybe over the course of the next two to three days, you're getting in an extra two to 300 calories to make up for that. So there's, you don't have to make up for it overnight um, unless it's like a small amount, but if it's relatively small, then uh, these numbers don't have to be like set in stone. There's a, there's a range I like my clients to shoot for. So you don't have, like if it's, if your number is 2,500 and you hit, you know, 2499, you didn't fail for the day. That's perfect. That's probably as close as you can get. That's amazing. Um, so it's things like that. If you're within, depending on the person, depending on the goal, if you're within, you know, 50 to hundred calories for the day, I usually say, that's awesome. You're doing great. If it's over that or under that, and usually we take the next few days to, to average it out over the, over the course of a week. Fantastic. Do we have another question ready to go? Because if not, I've got one. Go um, I feel like there's probably a lot of people that want to know this, but what about somebody that may be running or working out with the purpose of losing weight? Because mm. um, you know, I'm certain that there's going to be some different stuff going on. So how does that factor into your equations and yeah. um, you know, what, what's the general principle there? Gotcha. So when I have clients who are trying to lose weight, um, my goal is always to have them lose fat mass, not necessarily weight. That's, that's just my goal over time that will, that will equate to weight loss. But my goal is always to improve body composition first and foremost and do that on as many calories as possible. It's super easy to lose weight. Just don't eat and then try to train hard, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're expending more calories than you're ingesting, the whole uh, calories in, calories out, laws of thermodynamics work. You can't, you can't avoid the math. Like the math, it, it's science, it's solid. Um, that's not changing. But if you're not eating enough calories, then your training takes a hit. And if your training takes a hit, then like you're looking at reductions in, in your ability to recover and repair and adapt. So if you're training for, uh, sorry, if you're eating to apply a training stimulus, then that's gonna be priority number one. But maybe I'll calculate their calorie goal so that it's slightly under, so I'll take their maintenance level and then I'll, I'll slowly cut calories from that. And as long as they're telling me subjectively, like, hey, I still feel great, I still feel recovered, I'm still you know, able to train intensely, train hard, then we'll continue with that and then I just monitor their weight. Usually every, maybe twice a week, it's not something that they have to do every day. I feel like that's like trying to read a book that's like, this close, it's you're not giving your body and enough time to see any of those changes. So, if my clients do want to lose weight and they are obsessed with weighing every day, or that's just the routine that they want to have, then we'll still average out their weight every week. And um, so, I usually set it up like I've got a client right now, and uh, for her, we're, we have a eight-week calorie deficit set up into her diet. So every week we're cutting out 
a little bit more calorie-wise, and we're trying to maintain her training intensity. And then the point that her training intensity drops off, then I know that the calories are too low. And so, but then we're seeing slow, but relatively consistent changes in her body weight. And then once we hit her goal weight, then we'll actually slowly work back up in calories, up until the point where weight starts to go up again, and then we'll, we'll cut it there. Because I want her to be on as many calories as possible without gaining weight, or as many calories as possible while losing weight. So Makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'll just I'll throw out real quick, by the way, Kevin does not work for us. He also does not work for any of the uh, nutrition labels that you commonly see. Um, so if anybody has any questions about specific products, you know, ask away. He's he's going to give you his, uh, I think he said, very biased. Extremely biased. <laughs> yeah. So we got a question from one of our audience members yes, here. Sir. So um, dealing with uh, nutrition and uh, uh, so I have a type 2 diabetes and I recently got uh, diagnosed with a thyroid. So I'm like, okay, now what's next? You know, so uh, yeah. doing really good with uh, training and, you know, getting, uh, being really active. So mm -hmm. uh, really just looking for some guidance on, on that. Gotcha. So I'm not uh, like a clinical dietitian, so I don't have as much experience on, uh, on like the clinical side. Um, so first and foremost, I, I got to say that. So everything that I that I'm focused on is primarily with quote unquote healthy populations. Not that you're healthy, I've seen you out running, man. So <laughs> I know you're getting after it. Um, so but, I. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, um, what's probably gonna be beneficial is figuring out your maintenance level of calories and just making sure that um, you're either at maintenance level or maybe slightly below, and that's probably gonna improve uh, Things related with type two diabetes. Yeah, it's it's managed. It's under control. It's just uh, just dealing with the overall uh, training. Uh, taking a little bit extra. I think feel like it's taking extra to recover. I'm not recovering sure. as, as fast as I would like. Yeah. You know, I started doing a little bit of uh, uh, CrossFit, mm -hmm. and uh, it's definitely taken a couple of days to, to recover. You know, at times you know, with shortness and stuff. For sure. But. Uh, you know, I'm getting there, it's just it's taking a long. Yeah. And the uh, age, it doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. So, um, some of the questions I'd ask you if we were having like a, uh, just like a, a nutrition session together right. would be, um, what's your, what's your typical eating schedule like? Uh, how much protein are you getting? Like your recovery is directly tied to not only how many calories you're getting, but your protein content in your diet. So. Um, the, the RDA for protein is 0.8 to 1 gram per kilogram. Like, that's not a lot, right? It, it may seem like a lot when we're looking at weird numbers like that, but um, that equates to you know, point, point 0.4, I think, to 0.6 grams per pound per day. Um, if you're training, that's just not enough, right? So. For most of my clients, I like to work them up to about one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day. And if they can tolerate more, then we go higher than that. If they if they like that, then we're, I'm gonna take that protein number up as high as possible. So um, that's only gonna uh, allow you to, to recover and repair better. So all, all training 
is damaging to muscle tissue. Carbohydrate can't repair muscle tissue. Fat can't repair muscle tissue. The only thing that can stimulate muscle protein synthesis to repair damaged muscle tissue is protein. And really, it's amino acids. So are you getting enough uh, high-quality protein, whether it's animal source or, or plant source? I work with uh, quite a few plant-based athletes, and the rules don't change either way. Like, you still have to hit, you know, your protein goal, your, your calorie goal. So that's... That's probably where I would start with you, just focusing on protein, so. Okay, we have a question here. I get too busy to track calories each food type. If I'm eating well-balanced meals in each meal and then healthy snacks between, can I just shoot for the target calorie count and assume the food types will average out? And then we have another question um, about what, the food, what foods are best to build muscle but also keep a steady training plan. Gotcha. So, uh, can you read that first question again? Yes. Okay. So the first question is about getting too busy to track the calories mm -hmm. for each food type. Okay. And if they just eat like a well-balanced meal with good healthy snacks in between, um, can they just shoot for uh, the target calorie count uh, and assume that all food types will average out? For sure. Um, so I don't think that people should be counting calories and and necessarily tracking macros all the time. I think that uh, disordered eating can be on either end of the spectrum and where, you know, if you're not eating anything or not eating enough, like that's that's bad. And then if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're like weighing everything out to the, to the microgram and you're tracking every single thing that you eat, like I think that can be just as unhealthy. But I think there's times where, you know, you want to be more towards this end of the spectrum, but then there's times where it's better to not track at all, like where you're just trying to eat intuitively. And so switching back and forth between those two, I find uh, can be really, really beneficial just to take a little bit of a psychological break from the stress of, of tracking. Um, so if you have a pretty decent idea of, uh, of in general, what, what you're ingesting protein wise, uh, and calorie wise, I think you're probably safe just uh, tracking those things. So um, when I'm not tracking, um, in my mind, I still have a pretty accurate idea of how much protein I'm getting just because I know before 7 a.m., before 6 a.m. every day, uh, because I tend to eat the exact same thing every morning, I know I'm getting 48 grams of protein from some cheese sticks and a protein bar and um, whatever else I'm eating, some nuts. Um, but it's like the same thing every day, so I know in general exactly how much I'm getting. Um, another way to go about that is um, what they call the hand rule. So if you don't want to track in general or, or you're more focused on just eating healthy things at each meal, if you're looking for uh, if you're relatively sedentary, like one serving of each. If you're an athlete, shooting for two servings of each. So palm-sized protein. If you're getting two palm-sized servings of a protein-rich uh, food at every meal, then you're probably going to be pretty good. If you're getting um, one fist, sorry, two fist-sized servings of vegetables, uh, two thumb-sized servings of fat, and then one to two scooped handfuls of carbohydrate, that's a really good. Uh, like measure since everyone's hands are relatively proportional to their body that tends to be a really good 
good goal to shoot for. Can you do that again for us? Sure. Um, because that was a helpful little rule. I, I want to yeah. know myself. Awesome. So when I when I uh, teach kids to do this, I make them all do it with me. So like, okay. so everybody, put your hand up. <laughs> okay. We need for athletes two palm size servings of protein. So palm protein. Okay. And then we make a fist. That's veggies. Two servings of veggies, fist size servings of veggies. And then thumb up, two thumb size servings of fat. That can be high quality oils. You know, avocado's got some really good fat in it. Nuts have really good fat in it, things like that. And then cup, that's gonna be your carbohydrates. So two cup handfuls of carbohydrate. That's, you know, like uh, your grains, rice, um, sweet potatoes, things like that. Things cool. that are starchy. That's that's where your high intensity fuel is coming from. Is from that that carbohydrate. So if you're not doing a lot of training, you can probably back off and just do one serving of that. But if you're training intensely, then that's very helpful right there. Awesome. Um, all right. Any more questions? Yes. Um, so what foods are best to build muscle that keep a steady training plan? Gotcha. So to build muscle, uh, you can't build muscle without an amino acid stimulus. So what? What stimulates the synthesis of new muscle protein is the availability of uh, essential amino acids. So there are 20 amino acids, 11 are considered non-essential because your body can make them, nine are considered essential because they have to come from your diet. Um, and of those nine essential amino acids, there's three amino acids called the branch chain amino acids. And branch chain just refers to their molecular structure. One of those amino acids is called leucine. Leucine uh, is, it's like, if you think about um, muscle proteins as like a train, leucine is the engine. So you cannot stimulate any new muscle protein without a threshold level of leucine in, uh, at, each, at each meal or each time you're eating uh, protein or amino acids. So. If you want to maximally stimulate the synthesis of new muscle protein to either build muscle or to repair or to adapt, then you want to shoot for about three grams of leucine. Three grams of leucine equates to about 30 to 40 grams of protein. So if you're shooting for at least 30 grams of protein at each meal, and then when you snack, that's going to be a really good way to maximize muscle growth, muscle repair, things like that. So, so we have Dr. Perlin with us tonight. All right. And What's he's up? asking, um, do you feel there are disadvantages to eating more animal protein if running is the main focus? Oh, this is, this is a controversial topic. Good question. <laughs> Personally, I love animal source protein. Uh, as long as it's coming from high quality sources. I'm not a huge fan of like factory farming and animals that come from that. Although I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I didn't like Chick-fil-A or that I didn't like fast food, which is where a lot of that factory farming goes to. So um, I used to do a lot of hunting and I enjoyed doing that because I could source my own meat that way. And I knew it was high quality and I knew it was organic and yeah, but at the same time, I think a lot of people don't really, uh, maybe they have ethical issues with that, and so they wanna do more plant-based 
uh, eating and they source all of their protein from, from high quality plant-based sources and that's totally fine. When it comes to, to me personally, I like a, a decent variety of both. Um, I just came from my girlfriend's house. She was soaking lentils because we're gonna have some lentils later for dinner, right? And that's really high quality uh, plant-based protein source. So um, this is a tough one. We can talk about what we think the human evolved from and the type of diet that, it, that humans came from. Um, I think we probably, because I can't say the def, you know definitively, but I think we probably came from eating a, a lot of hunted animals. Um, and I think we evolved to, to be very efficient utilizing high quality animal source proteins and fats. So um, all that to say, I don't necessarily think if you're getting high quality sources of animal protein and fat that it's gonna hurt you. I think it's only gonna help you. Although if you're, uh, some people just don't respond well to a lot of meat and so for those individuals, like the good news is there's tons of options. There's a lot of other stuff out there. You don't have to do that. I don't make any of my clients do anything that, that they don't want to do. So the nice thing is, is they can, they can come to me and say, Hey, I, I like steak. Perfect. Then we're going to make that fit into, into your program. We've got other clients who are like, I want to do keto and I want to do plant-based. Okay, well, we still have to hit your calories, and then we have to hit your protein goal. We'll hit your fat goal, but um, we're going to have to move some things around because we're not getting any animal source fat, and then we'll hit your carbohydrate goal. So um, I think that answers the question. That's It's hard to answer that in like two to three minutes. That's that's a long conversation to have. I think that's that, a doctorate thesis. Yeah, yeah. We need to get a cup of coffee and talk about that one. All right, here's a good question. What are your thoughts on pre and post workout drink mixes? Do they work or add more or less than just a good nutrition plan? It all depends on the ingredients and it depends on the dose of those ingredients. So when it comes to a pre-workout, the the benefit of a pre-workout is to is really to stimulate the nervous system, um, which is going to allow you to generate more force per muscle contraction. So uh, the, the ingredients that have the most research behind them are gonna be caffeine, uh, maybe things like uh, creatine monohydrate, although for endurance athletes, that doesn't tend to, uh, to be marketed towards endurance athletes, although I'm a huge fan of it personally. Um, there's some other ones, uh, beta alanine, but again, most endurance athletes aren't gonna take that. So when it comes to a pre-workout, it all depends on what's in it. If you're going with something that has a ton of ingredients in it, like if you're looking at the label and, and the ingredients are like a mile long, then there's probably only like a sprinkle of each of those ingredients in there and it's not gonna be remotely close to an effective dose. So I recommend for pre-workout, if you like caffeine, going with with something that's caffeinated, whether you know you're you're drinking some green tea or some coffee, or um, there's a ton of stuff uh, that that's both carbohydrate and caffeine when it comes to like a, a gel. Um, 
you can do that. The only thing is, if you drink a lot of coffee or you ingest a lot of caffeine, um, the performance benefits of that are gonna go down if you're consuming it all the time. So the performance benefits come from when you're not ingesting it all the time. Because so. you did say cool my morning coffee before the gym is okay in moderation. For sure. That's what you're saying. Okay. In moderation. So and then for post workout, um, it all depends on uh, how that fits into your calorie goal for the day and your macronutrient goal for the day. So uh, what I'd recommend for people post-workout is prioritize protein and prioritize carbohydrate. So um, I don't remember how long ago now, time flies, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, um, the whole ratio, the three to one ratio or the four to one ratio of, of carbohydrate to protein got really popular. And they were looking at um, how to maximize uh, replenishing your glycogen stores. And so a lot of companies, a lot of supplement companies have made products that follow that three to one or four to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein in order to maximize refilling the gas tank. So that's a good way to do that. But what that doesn't do is that doesn't stimulate recovery and repair of the damaged muscle tissue. So getting that carbohydrate in is super important, but then you've got to make sure that you're stimulating the synthesis of new muscle protein by getting that three gram uh, leucine threshold dose. So if you're going to, uh, you, you probably want to add some protein to that. So you could do that. Uh, carbohydrate, you know, maybe you're getting 30 to 40 grams of carbs. You want to go with, you know, 30 to 40 grams of protein as well. Okay. Another question, um, is leucine in all proteins? Yes, for the most part. Um, but the ratio is different depending on the protein source. So animal source protein tends to be much higher in leucine. Um, whey protein, like a really high quality whey protein isolate is going to have the highest concentration of leucine. Um, beef is really high. Certain types of fish are, are higher than others. Um, Plant-based protein sources tend to be lower, but you can, you can actually make up for uh, like a, a pea protein or um, uh, a soy protein. You can actually add leucine to it. They've done these comparison studies where They've taken like whey and um, a plant-based protein and they're matching for protein content, but the leucine content is different. And the results of that are that whey tends to be better because of the higher leucine content. And then they'll do a follow-up study where they'll match leucine content and both proteins are basically equal. So as long as you're matching, as long as you're getting enough of that leucine, you're going to be good in plant-based proteins you may have to double the dosage so maybe 30 grams of whey is going to give you that 2.7 to 3 grams of leucine you may have to go 50 to 60 grams of pea protein in order to get that same leucine threshold is there a particular this is my question a particular um, product that you think is better than others for during your workout like when you're running long distance some people do goose and do you can you know is there a, a one in particular that you find is better than others um i wish i had an easy answer for you a lot of that is like individual variation and i think honestly a lot of it also is uh you can train your body to adapt to certain types of like digesting certain types of carbohydrates better um 
when it comes to your ability to digest carbohydrate during exercise, um, the upper end is usually around uh, 250 calories per hour um, if it's one type of carbohydrate. So if you're combining multiple carbohydrate types, maybe you can change that because if, uh, if you know, you combine glucose with um, sucrose or another type of carbohydrate that's broken down at a different rate, now those uh, carbohydrate molecules aren't competing for the same transporter molecules within, within the circulatory system or the way that they're delivered. So um, combining different carb types is sometimes a good, uh, good strategy, but a lot of times it's just figuring out you know, what works. A lot of people struggle with fructose, um, tends to upset their stomach and delays gastric emptying. So um, uh, carbohydrates that tend to have uh, a high molecular weight but low molecular distribution um, tend to get in and out of your uh, stomach really fast and into the small intestine where they can be absorbed into bloodstream and utilized really quickly. And then there's other carbohydrates um, like waxy maize, which is much more slowly digested and it's not going to spike your blood glucose, but it's going to keep you, you know, steady longer. So, um, you could combine those two and get kind of like an immediate, um, delivery of, of carbohydrate high intensity fuel, and then also get kind of an extended release or a slower digested delivery of carbs. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it kind of depends. I know a lot of triathletes who uh, they know on the run course they're going to have Gatorade endurance, so that's all they practice with. That's all they train with because that's what's going to be available on the course, and that means that's less they have to carry. So maybe it's not, maybe it's not the highest quality carbohydrate, but um, if something goes wrong, you don't want and you need some carbs, you don't want that to be the first time you're ingesting that on the course, for example. So there's a lot of variables involved there, but I wish I had an easy answer. So would you say that maybe what's more important than what you're actually taking is that your body is adapted to using that? For sure. Okay. Yep, yep. I, I think, think that's, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I know, I know plenty of, of athletes who maybe could use really high quality, expensive sources of carbs and who, who use something much cheaper because that's just what they've always gone with. Mm -hmm. and their body's relatively adapted to it. Fascinating. They don't want to try something new. Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix so it. We have another question. Can you drink too much water before and during a long distance race, like a marathon or triathlon, can you talk a little bit about hydration? Sure, so uh, you can, definitely. Uh, not you can, but you have the <laughs> ability. <laughs> Wanna make sure I'm not, <laughs> not messing that up there. So um, what, what happens with uh, drinking too much or drinking too little really comes down to um, not just water, but uh, the solution of water and electrolytes. So when you, um, when you drink water that goes into your, you know, into your stomach, it goes into the small intestine. And if you've 
If you've only had water, then before that water can exit the small intestine and go into the rest of your body and be utilized, it, it actually needs electrolytes to become a solution, right? So let's say you go to the hospital, um, and or you don't even have to go to the hospital now. You can call somebody up and they'll, they'll show up and they'll give you an IV. Like they've got these mobile IV vans and stuff nowadays, which is pretty cool. Um, when they give you just a regular IV, it's saline solution, right? It's water and salt, basically saline, um, because that's, that's the concentration of water and electrolytes that your body can use right away. So if you're not gonna get an IV all the time, which I don't know how you'd be able to do that anyway, but if you're going to ingest uh, or, or try to drink something to improve hydration, then combining water and electrolytes is gonna be the easiest way for your body to do that. If you just drink a ton of water and no electrolytes, then now you have all this water in your small intestine and before that can be absorbed into the rest of your body, your body will actually pull electrolytes from where it's being used and then shuttle that to the small intestine, bring it into the small intestine, your body then now has a solution that can then be dispersed to the rest of the body. So if you chug a ton of water, you're actually messing up the, the concentration of electrolytes throughout the rest of your body because they're being shuttled into the small intestine. The opposite effect is, let's say you consume a ton of salt or you consume a ton of electrolytes, um, now you have all these electrolytes in your small intestine. Well, in order for your body to reduce the concentration of those and get them out into the rest of the body, the body will then shuttle water into the small intestine. So that's the difference between hyponatremia and hypernatremia. Um, one, you've got too much water and so the body sends electrolytes to balance that out. And the other, you've got too many electrolytes and so the body sends water. Did I say that? Or did I just repeat? I think, I think you had it right. Okay, perfect. So um, you can drink too much water. Um, you can also take too many electrolytes. So the goal is to balance those out. Um, if you're eating a, a pretty varied diet um, and you know supplementing every once in a while, especially on hot days or long days with some sort of electrolyte product like, like noon or Y'all have a bunch of other ones over there. Right yeah, so there's a yeah, there's, there's a ton problems. out there, and um, if you're if you're getting sodium, magnesium, potassium, calcium, and chloride, those are the big ones. Um, then you're 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 probably going to be good. Um, follow the instructions that they give you, just because the concentrations and the specific types of those electrolytes are different. So, um, yeah, that's I think. And that I would add that you probably want to try that in training and get your body adapted to it like the carbohydrates. For sure. Now, so. Yeah. You don't want to try that race. <laughs> For sure. So if anybody has any more questions, try to throw them in real quick before we wrap things up here. Um, this video will go on to our Instagram page and we will um, be posting some pictures on our story of the, uh, the uh, formulas a, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So it's a nice cool sheet that just shows you like you just put in your age, your height, your weight. It shows you how to, um, it's all done in metric. So here's how you calculate your weight in kilograms. It's, you know, your body weight in pounds divided by 2.2. And then here's how you calculate your height in centimeters. It's, 
you know, yada, 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 and then you just, you fill that stuff in, and at the very bottom, you have your predicted maintenance level of, of calories. So, yeah. so uh, what's your Instagram again? So I'm at Athlete Factors. At Athlete Factors, so if anybody wants to work with Kevin, or you have any questions, feel free to drop him a DM, um, and yeah, get in, I mean, anything, so. So can I, can I plug the books? Plug the books, so, yes. So I, Meant to bring some hard copies in today, and I did not. So, but you can get uh, the paperback or the uh, ebook on Amazon. You can just search for uh, Kevin R. Coon, or you can search for the the titles of the books: "The Self Reliant Diet" or "Hormonal Nutrition" on Amazon. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kevin. Sure. Thank you. Kevin oftentimes makes appearances at our social runs Wednesday night. I'm going to throw that out there. So if you want to meet him in person, come out at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays, and uh, you can go for a run with him if you can keep up. He's a pretty fast guy. So um, <laughs> This will all be on Instagram. This, this will all be on, on the Instagram page, so you can reference this later if you want to. Um, it'll go on the IGTV portion of it, but it'll, it'll show up in your feed. So, um, yeah, once again, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for You're showing up. Yeah. Today, thanks Holly for working the camera, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next one.